Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Uh, heads up, you're going to learn that tapioca was way more important uh, back in the day, but <laughs> but it's only part of this amazing story. So shout out, as always, to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. I am the condiment. <laughs> the condiment. The condiment. Man. There should be a condiment man, too. It's too many <laughs> syllables for the song. Ben, you'd be the condiment man because <laughs> it's you, you've been getting into that that vein a lot recently. <laughs> it's true. I was sending, I was sending. Uh, yeah, I'm Ben, uh, and Noel. Remember, I was sending you and Max like pictures of various condiments around the world. Mustardo being one. Oof. Oof. No, thank you. <laughs> with the weird like fruit gelatin yes. with mustard yes. oil. <laughs> I'm good. I'm I know. Good. I'm going to try some. But uh, but yeah, so we do have a, a history of condiments as you uh, ongoing series, folks. As you know, Noel, Max, and I love, love, love talking about the history of the, uh, of the food. Wow. History of foods in general. No, keep it. Of the food. Uh, and we're going to talk about a luminary today, a man named William A. Mitchell. He's a prolific inventor, and he loved inventing food, uh, different types of foods, uh, often called novelty foods, some of which remain commonplace today. As a matter of fact, if you, uh, if you celebrated Thanksgiving, if you're based in the U.S., and you had a bunch of people over, you might have seen one of Mitchell's inventions, Cool Whip, right? Maybe cool over Cool Whip. Yes. Yeah, you got to cool lean in on that whip. H. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I know I first ran into this guy when I was doing that uh, Stuff of Genius series way back in the day, and his career gave me so many questions that still remain. So I, I would love to get you guys' input or perspective 
on some of these outstanding questions, which we'll, which we'll get to. But what do we know about William A. Mitchell? Well, he was a food scientist. We know he passed away uh, not terribly, terribly long ago, given the, the, the greater timeline of, you know, the, the, the known universe, in 2004. And he was, as you said, uh, a bit of a candy man, a bit of a Willy Wonka-esque figure. You know, he really liked food with a gimmick, you know, food with a twist. Yeah, yeah. He lived to the ripe old age of 93, uh, which oh boy. you would think for someone who lives in the world of candy and novelty, uh, he would have some health repercussions, but he had a life well lived. He was born to a farm family in Minnesota, 1911, right after the turn of the century. And unfortunately, his childhood was pretty tough. His father passed away while he was still in grade school. And he became one of those kids, this was common at the time, one of those kids who had to balance working on the farm to support his family with pursuing education. And he would actually go and contract out as a child to other farmers in the area to help with the bean and pea harvest because the family needed the money. By the time he was a teenager, he's in Lamar, Colorado, and he still is taking on side work to help supplement the household income. He is trapping muskrats and he's harvesting melons during the melon season. Uh, I think a big change for him comes in high school where he takes on the graveyard shift at a place called the American Beet Sugar Company. So he stays up in the wee hours operating sugar crystallization tanks and then maybe sleeping two hours before he goes to school. Yeah, he was a busy boy, balancing a lot of things, spinning a lot of plates. But education uh, was very important to him. And he actually also worked as a carpenter for a time in order to pay uh, his tuition at Cotner College in Lincoln, Nebraska. And then he uh, would further his education um, with a master's degree in chemistry from the University of Nebraska and then became a research chemist um, with a pretty relatively high-level role at the Agricultural Experiment Station. I love when you have a station on a thing. It makes me immediately think of, like, the thing, you know, or, like, these, like, research stations in in, uh, in, in Alaska, you know, where people kind of lose their minds and end up murdering each other or become sentient blobs that uh, subsume one another, you know, or maybe just, uh, maybe just doing research, who knows. But not long after he started that job, there was a laboratory explosion that happened as a result of a crack in a beaker of alcohol, and he was injured pretty badly. He got second and third degree burns over 80% of his body. Um, and this, this actually comes from a How Stuff Works article from, from the old days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, big, big fans of How Stuff Works. I, when I made Stuff of Genius, it was for How Stuff Works. Uh, so shout out to Lori L. Dove. We're not going to give you the title of this article just yet because it's got some spoilers in it. Okay, here's my first question. Just going to give you this statement, which is true, is confirmed by multiple sources, and I, I, I want to learn more about it with you guys. So he's known for Cool Whip, right? He's known for several other things, including powdered egg whites, which are a thing. Uh, but his real breakthrough, his breakout single, was the creation of not tapioca, but a tapioca 
substitute during World War II. Off air, Max and I were talking about the last time we had knowingly tried tapioca. And for me, it's almost exclusively in boba tea. You know, you get the little balls in the Thai tea or whatever, and it's great. It's great stuff, but I had no idea tapioca was such a big deal. Correct. I mean, just in terms of think of it like an additive, like gelatin or something like that, or like a, a thing you might use to preserve foods. So he came up with actually a tapioca substitute during World War II when supplies of uh, OG tapioca were very, very scant. Um, The Associated Press had that to say about it. And what he did was use uh, starch grains found in cassava roots that came from the eastern part of the world. And he was able to kind of supplement disrupted supply chains that were a problem for some of these prepackaged foods uh, in terms of the availability of these preservatives, you know, during wartime, of course. And and these were probably been, what, for things like MREs or various things to make them shelf-stable? Yeah, yeah. It seems like it is used as a thickening agent. It's also a way to just load more carbohydrates into food. It's strange because tapioca, which is still, you know, commonly used in tropical areas today, it's low in uh, various nutrients. It's almost entirely carbs. So maybe this was just the idea of getting more energy to people. But this combination of starches and gelatin kept the soldiers in the war uh, sated. It kept them full, right? And they may not have loved the taste, as as uh, everybody knows, World War II military rations were not ideal, but an army marches on its stomach. So he really did genuinely help the war effort. But that that's just his breakthrough, right? He's just the, the father of tapioca substitutes. It's his next creation that uh, becomes the subject of, of modern folklore. Honestly, it's a big, big deal. You know them, you love them. Pop Rocks. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. 
It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Mitchell is the guy who invented Pop Rocks. Yeah. Still a delight to this day. There's all kinds of silly, uh, you know, cocktails even that'll use Pop Rocks, you know, and, and, and like themed bars and things. Like there's one in uh, L.A. actually called Scum and Villainy that is a Star Wars kind of cantina themed bar. And they use Pop Rocks and, and as, as like a thing to put on the rim of some of their cocktails. And it just adds a delightful little carbonated uh, pop to, to whatever, you know, you put it in. Also, aren't there like urban legends about combining pop rocks with something else and it'll like kill you or something yeah, like that? that I yeah. think it's uh, it's been debunked, but uh, it's definitely of 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 uh, urban food lore. Yeah, that's one of the um that's another one that gets uh thrown around a lot. That's where it became part of modern myth and folklore. It has it has been debunked, but he also stumbled on this one sort of by accident. It's 1956. He wants to create self-carbonating soda. And what he ends up with is instead the candy Pop Rocks. And, you know, everybody knows how Pop Rocks work, right? They're these, they're these little bits of candy, hard candy, 
that have carbon dioxide trapped in bubbles inside the candy. And so when you put it in your mouth, your saliva dissolves through the candy, and then you get those fizzy, effervescent pops of the carbon dioxide releasing. If you're not expecting it, it's weird. But if you're a kid looking for a a neat novelty candy, then it's kind of awesome. You know, you can also open your mouth and people can actually hear the popping if they get close enough. So make sure you have good breath. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And they come in, uh, you know, you could call them flavors, I guess. Uh, You know, results may vary in terms of does it actually taste like blueberry or whatever. Food science is is somewhat of an imprecise science uh, at times, you know, in candy and cereal. Like, do the various colors of tricks cereal actually taste like the fruits they're intended to? or does it pair with like the shape of it to to lead to the suggestion of the taste of a fruit? A little more uh, mental gymnastics involved in that. Yeah, and he talks about this himself in in later interviews. We're getting a lot of this from mash.com in an excellent article in The Atlantic. He says, we would try to make a carbonated beverage powder that would taste good. That's the hardest part of food science, that and making it safe to eat. Uh, And he said, I was working on this drink powder. My idea was when you mix it with water, it would transform into a fizzy carbonated drink. Drink mixes were already a thing for sure. He wanted to take it to the next step. And he wasn't able to. That's a big reason why there's not powdered Coca-Cola or Pepsi today. He tasted a bit of this stuff when he was trying it in the lab, in the food lab lair, in the food (laughs) station. And then he said, hang on. This is a crap soda that I've made, but I like these little chunks. They pop in my mouth. You know, this is Willy Wonka moment. And people from all over the company heard about this, and they started showing up at his lab and saying, I'll I'll try. I'll pop your rocks, which was not as unpleasant a euphemism as it might sound. And and then he says it became a game. (laughs) Coworkers would show up and try to swallow the biggest chunk of Pop Rock. Oh, maybe this is where the, the the myth about maybe one of them swallowed too big a chunk and their their head exploded. Yeah, maybe. And and it was a secret, just like in the thing, right? The thing is based on the invention of pop rocks. There's a lot more to the story. And then you can put it in things, right? You can put it in bubble gum, for example. And it created. Uh, I love I love this era of of food and treats. You have such funny, like futuristic at the time sounding names, like Incredible Bubble Popping Gum. And there's an incredible bubble ad uh, that you can hear right about here. It's popping! Watch people try amazing incredible bubble, the sizzling, crackling bubble gum. This bubble gum's stranger than I am. <laughs> That's a Dracula character. <laughs> yeah, looks like F. Murray Abraham. Fantastic. Yeah. Something bubblegum that's loaded with long-lasting flavor. <laughs> long-lasting flavor. A lot of puppets. And bubble. Say from charms. What? So, so this low pop. Yeah. So our our buddy research associate Zach sent us a version of this commercial and. It really is of the time. For some reason, there is a Dracula-esque vampire there. He's also nuts about Incredibubble popping gum. He's insane. He's insane. Whoa. (laughs) Exactly. He's like, I've been drinking blood this whole time. They cut that part. Uh, So you see that this, this is a new sensation and that the very same popularity 
of this new material science for food leads to these disturbing urban legends that we've been teasing. Correct. Uh, what we teased earlier was, and I, I had it a little bit wrong. Um, let's let's just correct the record here. I didn't have it wrong. I just couldn't remember what the other ingredient was. But it's too much carbonation, you know, like right. So you combine pop rocks with an actual carbonated soda. It's extreme, uh, and potentially uh, the idea of of this almost like satanic panic thing began to circulate. The idea in the 70s that the kids were doing these like, you know, what you might look at on TikTok today, these bizarre challenges that kids are doing, you know, that that the kids are doing. Um, And it was causing them to die, you know, um, in mass quantities. Yeah, there was this, there was this rumor that a popular kid from advertisements of the era died because he ate pop rocks and he washed it down with soda. Too much carbon dioxide. Too fast, too soon, too young. In 1971, Quaker Oats makes this commercial for Life Cereal. And it has, it's all about winning over kids, right? Because kids want candy for breakfast, not something healthy. And they're like, this cereal looks too healthy. So in the commercial, they test it on a character named Little Mikey. Little Mikey hates everything, but Life Cereal, he tries it and he loves it. And then there's this catchphrase that's like, Mikey likes it. See, even Mikey, who's a real pill, likes Life Cereal. And then this rumor starts and it says that, remember that kid who played Mikey? He died because of Pop Rocks and Soda. Exactly. And, and of course, this is, you know, not the truth, but it is typically the way of these things. You know, it starts with um, uh, word of mouth and then it just starts to spread and the rumor becomes more interesting than the truth. And this is also, of course, in the days before the Internet, where it was a lot harder to verify independently these kinds of things. So we had a backlash, more or less. And uh, William A. Mitchell actually had to do some damage control and uh, speak to the science of Pop Rocks. Uh, he spoke to People magazine where he said, quote, there is no danger. The worst thing the rocks can do is make you burp. <laughs> the amount of gas in Pop Rocks is less than one-tenth the amount in a can of soda pop. Yeah, exactly. He's just, he's doing the basic math. And Mythbusters later incorporated this idea into their show. They disproved the claim that you could combine pop rocks and soda to make somebody's stomach burst. They they did it uh, using a pig's stomach, which is close enough to a human's stomach for this purpose. The host ultimately concluded Mitchell's claim about burping. And he said, okay, that checks out. And they said the pop rock soda combo altogether just cannot produce enough gas to actually explode a human stomach. So that's debunked. But like a lot of other urban legends that get debunked, it stays around because it's a fun, scary story to tell. Uh, And (laughs) still, that damage control wasn't enough, right? People still were alleging a conspiracy, right? Maybe a cover-up. And this led General Foods to take out ads in 45 pretty significant magazines and newspapers and also go on a letter-writing campaign. They sent 50,000 letters to school principals across the United States saying, yeah, no fooling. Pop Rocks really definitely will not kill you. And you can learn all about this on the actual Pop Rocks site, pop-rocks.com. 
Well, the funny thing about it too is it's like it's probably not the carbon dioxide content they should be worrying about. It's the sugar content. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no lie. this stuff is uh, is is teeth rot city. Yeah, and because of the popularity of this legend, the damage control campaign doesn't work. So for a time, pop rocks are pulled from the market. They later get bought by another company and reintroduced to the public, and they're still around today. But this look, this these are only two of Mitchell's inventions. First off, we have tapioca substitute because tapioca was a big deal. Now we have Pop Rocks, and now we're on to more. He's like the DJ Khaled of food scientists. He's just sitting there in the lab going, another one. William Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going to, you know, turn back the, the, the clock a little bit to 1957 uh, and a product that if you haven't tried, because it's certainly fallen out of favor a good bit, you've probably heard of usually as it relates to the space program. In 1957, Mitchell made a big splash when he debuted a product called Tang and Discover Magazine in their reporting on this phenomenon, said that at the time it was actually intended to be a breakfast drink, sort of an orange juice replacement because of all of the vitamins that it contained, vitamin C, vitamin A, uh, vitamin E, and uh, lots of calcium. And it was in a, a handy dandy, easy to mix powder. Again, powders at the time were kind of considered like futuristic. You can get all your vitamins and minerals in a pill, in pill form, you know, or in, in powder form. Yeah, finally. It's real retro futurism now. It feels very Jetsons. So this stuff was not an instant hit, but it became popular after John Glenn drank something that looked like Tang on a rocket ship in 1962. Uh, this became a space age success. You know, it's kind of the reason powdered ice cream or dehydrated ice cream, excuse me, still has that novelty appeal. And it's sold at all the gift shops associated with space. And you know what? If you haven't tried it, give it a go. Give it I a like go. I like it. I think it's all right. Yeah. And I, I don't have that much of a sweet tooth, but I do like space. And I'm gullible. They got me there. So I got to I gotta have my dried ice cream, my space creams. It's a way of feeling like you're participating, you know, in some way. Or it's like, I'm like an astronaut because I'm eating this like mm -hmm. gummy powdered brick of like sugar, you know. I have so many dumb like space food themed things in my pantry, like astronaut rice. Mm -hmm. uh, I keep the ice cream around in case, just in case. I don't know, guys. I might be turning into a food hoarder. But you ever had you ever had moon cheese, the most unappetizing named snack yes, of all time? Yeah, it's the like same chips. deal. It's basically yeah. yeah, it's dehydrated cheese product chips. Mm -hmm. You know, good crunch, but they sell. It's the very similar consistency to astronaut ice cream. But it's funny. I was in Seattle a couple of years ago and at the Space Needle gift shop because again, the Space Needle nothing to do with space whatsoever. More of or just needles. like a. Honestly. Yes, correct. <laughs> More of just sort of like a, a retro futurist kind of thing. They sell astronaut ice cream at the Space Needle gift shop. Yeah, and uh, the thing about moon cheese, it's not a ding because it is tasty. It has a nice crunch. I find it leaves a little bit of a film. Boy, does it. You all know? this stuff does. Yeah. All, the, all these like powdered mm -hmm. things kind of do. And also what I've noticed too, I'm a big fan of Crystal Light. Uh, it is a, you know, very low calorie kind of juice mix powder. Uh -huh. um, and when you put the powder in the, in the pitcher, 
it like gets in the air and yeah. you kind of start inhale it a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It's like a little weird, like uh, to think about it, you know, what it is in terms of the chemicalness of it all. But hey, it tastes delicious and it's uh, it's locale. Uh, and I like to mix it with soda water. Here's and here's why uh, here's why Tang gets associated with the space flight. When John Glenn is on the Mercury space flight, Tang is used to mask the metallic flavor of the water stored on board. So just to make it taste a little bit less elementy, you know, and right. and this works, right? And then later it's aboard other space flights. By the time the Apollo 8 mission is televised in 1968, Tang is a major sponsor of the ABC space launch broadcast. Uh, there's a, <laughs> this is going back to, Excellent article by L'Oreal Dove. There's a little bit of a little bit of a level set later when astronaut Buzz Aldrin, who also drank Tang, go goes on to say in an interview, Tang sucks. He he apparently <laughs> didn't have a lot of nostalgia for it. Uh <laughs> amid all the things. Surely he didn't say Tang sucks. He said yeah, Tang he sucks. Have... Yeah. He said it in wow. uh he's mouth quoted, on that Buzz Aldrin. He's quoted in the Seattle Times saying this. Uh, so even as it gets more and more popular, and all these all these kids want it because it makes them, you know, it's like how kids would eat Wheaties to try to be like the athlete on the on the cover of the box, right? Or on the like front Mike. of the box. Yeah, be yeah. like Mike. This implies a sort of purpose to Tang. Right. The makers were completely happy letting people think Tang had been invented specifically for astronauts. But really, if you look at the history, Mitchell is just this Wonka-esque character. He's just a zany inventor. He likes food to be fun. And I think we need more people like that in the world. He didn't give up. He didn't rest on his laurels after these three inventions. He wanted to make stuff better, faster, stronger for home cooks. And so in 67, he makes a new kind of jello. You can make it with cold water instead of hot. So it's that much faster to make jello at home. He didn't right, invent the original stuff. Certain like gelatin, I think, uh, especially, I think there's like a vegetable based gelatin. I, I, I know some of the stuff just from watching Great British Bake Off, but sometimes in those technical challenges where they don't give you instructions, they, they'll throw you a curveball. And there is this one where they used a certain type of gelatin that had to be dissolved in hot boiling water. And if uh, you just mix it into the cold water and then whoops. got it up to temperature, it wouldn't set. So this was, again, part of the process. And what's interesting too about all of these things we're talking about is you have to remember that food scientists are just that. That. They're scientists. They're not right. marketers. So there's this whole other wing of selling these things. And sometimes it'll be a use that wasn't really the intended use. And then because of these associations with things like the space program, the marketing wing will just, their eyes will light up and with dollar signs and they'll just like go ham on that association, even though it wasn't necessarily what the creator had in mind at all. Yeah, and I want to say something neat that I realized about The British Baking Show, which is a great show. It's wholesome, and you should check it out if you're feeling stressed. It really is true that peanut butter is, in the West at least, it's such an American thing. And uh, like a PBJ, a peanut butter jelly sandwich, is not super familiar. At least the way uh, I've seen it treated on the British Baking Show, the judges are like, you combined a peanut flavor with that of a berry? How absurd, absurd and strange, yet delectable. 
It's very, it's got a real novelty to it over there. And they do the same thing. Like there was an episode recently where they had the contestants make quote unquote s'mores. And there was this backlash because they used what are called digestive biscuits, which are not graham crackers. Uh, They are like these kind of little tea cracker or tea cookies, you know, they call them biscuits over there. But um, there was this whole like, what? Uh, It's an abomination what they've done with Mm. the the humble s'more. And uh, they also had a real kind of wonky one where they did Mexican week and they made tacos, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, and, like yeah. people clearly had, they don't get good Mexican over there, I think, in, uh, in across the pond. And so there was some definitely uh, opportunities for mockery there. Yeah. And, and look, you know, the, the bakers on Great British Bake Off are, they're doing their best to innovate. And in that way, they're a lot like Mitchell. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mitchell is on a roll post-Tang. Just a few months after this, he comes up with Cool Whip. Uh, this is the very first frozen, non-dairy whipped cream. That's a lot of caveats, but you know what we're talking about. You've seen it in grocery stores throughout the land. This is a huge success for the company General Foods because you can freeze Cool Whip, which makes it easier to ship. You also make it easier for people to use whipped cream in recipes. Nowadays, uh, they've tinkered with Mitchell's original invention a bit. Cool Whip does have some milk and cream, mainly because a lot of American consumers said, I don't want it to be entirely artificial. You know, I feel like I've seen something on the news about that. So they put in a little milk. But, but honestly, if you're getting Cool Whip, you don't expect it to be straight from some Cool Whip branded cow, you know, it's clearly artificial and they wanted to save the convenience. It reminds me of a Betty Crocker cake mix. Do you know what saved that cake mix? It's the idea of adding an egg. You totally right. don't need to. They just wanted people to feel like they were cooking a little more. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, all of his work um, that was popularized by General Foods kind of gave way to another phase in his career involving his daughter, Cheryl Mitchell, who wanted to be a bit more health conscious than some of these packaged, you know, mass produced foods that, that, that General Foods company was putting out using Mitchell's innovations. Yeah. Yeah. So they stumble on something that they start calling Dacopa. And they do this because Cheryl Mitchell and her spouse grow some dahlias on their property. And her dad comes along and says, ooh, we should roast the tubers of these dahlias. They end up with this brown substance that kind of tastes like coffee. And so they start selling it as this stuff they call decopa, a coffee substitute that is supposed to have some health benefits. It doesn't work. It doesn't catch on. Most people stick with regular coffee or God forbid, decaf, Mitchell does make a miscalculation. He says, look, we're going toward an age of convenience foods. He didn't predict that coffee would go the other way and become more specialized, uh, would have ritualistic mm. processes. You know, you just don't get a cup of joe at a lot of places now. You wait, and then there are, you know, making it is an art form for the barista in the fancy places. 
that's more of a modern thing, though, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, yeah. like the idea, you know, coffee used to be all about the Maxwell House or the Taster's Choice or the freeze dried coffee and all of that that you could just. It was about quickness and convenience because it was such a part of people's routine that it was all about, you know, how quickly can I get this, you know, from can to cup. Yeah, exactly. And this, look, when we're talking about one of the great food scientists, it's kind of like talking about the Shakespeare of sweets, right? Not everything you made was a hit. We remember the successes, but we should also remember that he, like any other scientist, had a lot of uh, trails that went cold, you know, a lot of gelatin of innovation that just would not set. And one example of this is his 1969 patent for dessert on a stick. It's a dessert powder that was so thick, it could be made into popsicle-like treats at room temperature. You didn't have to freeze it. It wasn't a hit, though our research associate, Dr. Zach, says he definitely would try it. So guess what you're getting for Christmas, bro? Dessert on anything on a stick becomes, you know, I mean, the whole fair food phenomenon, Mm -hmm. FFP. Everything on a stick just seems more fun. You know, you've got like, now you've got kind of throwbacky companies like a uh, hot dog on a stick. Just having on a stick in the name harkens back to like a time where everything should should come on a stick. But yeah, it really was kind of, again, one of these about portability, about, you know, kind of self-containedness, one-stop yeah. shop Oh, and let me correct something here while I, while I remember it. He was not 93 when he passed away. He was 92. He passed away on July 26, 2004. And he also made carbonated ice. He had a patent for that. Over the course of his life, he would receive 70 patents. And he retired hmm. in 1976. 70 different weird ideas for food this guy had. His daughter went on to become a food scientist And she's more of a, again, like we mentioned, she's more of a health conscious or health focused inventor. She does stuff like vegan milk, trying to create dairy taste from non-dairy sources. For sure. Um, And great article on on uh, all of this stuff uh, from Smithsonian by Emily Matcher um, hipped us to the book about Mitchell called Pop Rocks, the inside story of America's revolutionary candy. Uh, And there is a quote from the author Marv Rudolph saying that Mitchell was a true inventor, a person who looks at problems differently and can find elegant, sometimes simple solutions that no one else considered. If you generate enough intellectual property in the laboratory to issue a patent on the average every 10 months of your career, you have joined a very exclusive club. And uh, this was a club that uh, that Mitchell was was very much front and center in. Yeah. I mean, in the world of food, he might be a club of one. He might be a solo mm-hmm. club here. You see the lay of the land, folks. Some of his foods, his innovations, remain very popular today because they have become attached to some part of the American zeitgeist, right? You associate Cool Whip with certain desserts, and you associate those desserts in turn often with certain seasonal celebrations, right? Pop Rocks, you associate with childhood, with that ugly, uh, ugly urban legend that sort of dares you to try it yourself Mm -hmm. and see. But a lot of his other stuff fell out of favor and 
Now the trends of food have reversed, right? In post-World War II, it was seen as very future and forward-facing to have convenience foods. Make this a powder, right? Make this a mix. Save me some time. I'll use the microwave. But now increasingly, we see movements like slow food, organic food, locally grown food. And, you know, we've all, I think we've all been there where someone who is a real has a real hobby horse about one of these things, maybe guilts you a little about enjoying stuff like cheese whiz, not a Mitchell invention, or some processed food that you really like, like Doritos or something, to each their own. But no matter what those folks do, they're probably not going to get rid of Cool Whip. It's just so convenient. That's what Mitchell was all about. And that was his legacy. Uh, We do want to add, he had a normal funeral ceremony. It was not like a They didn't shoot him into a cannon or out of a cannon, made him full of pop rock? It's not a pop rock style Viking funeral. They put him in a a jar of uh, Cool Whip? No, they did did not. Uh, Didn't go Pringles on that one? Can we also say, too, that, that Cool Whip has also done wonders for like supplementing people's Tupperware collections. Let's just add oh, I didn't yeah. know. I, you know, growing up, I don't remember Cool Whip. I just remember the containers. I hear mm-hmm. rumors that those containers have had Cool Whip in them at times, but I've never seen that discovery firsthand, you know? Yeah, what do people use? I guess Cool Whip is kind of used for topping for like those kind of, you know, jello type deals. Um, you might use it maybe in a trifle or something like that. I actually like to make a strawberry trifle, but, you know, I I, I will make my own whipped cream. Um, but Milk there is shakes. something different about the mouthfeel of, uh, of Cool Whip. And you can also eat it frozen. Right. And it's almost like can be treated like a super low calorie. Let's also remember it is lower calorie than heavy whipped, heavy whipping cream. Right. Which isn't hard. That's not, that's not no, a, a very not. high bar, but, uh, but also, uh, you know, I associate it a lot with pies, right? Mm. You see it on top of, uh, different types of pies. You can see it in cupcakes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's mainly you just, you, you straight. You could just eat it straight. You that's know? what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. I'm, I've got no shame. I've done it. It's, it's delicious. In a pinch, it is the poor man's ice cream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. Cut print. And this is where I think we end our episode today. One of the other questions I didn't get to is powdered egg whites. He made some innovations there, but out powdered, of- What about powdered milk? Is that, that, he didn't have to do with that, but that was sort of one of the early powdered things, right? Yeah, powdered milk, also a, also a thing. Uh, in, this really tells us a lot about, like if you want to learn about a culture- in an interesting way, learn about its food. Learn about the foods they like, which are considered aspirational, which are tied to specific events, which are considered, you know, on the lower end. That's how you learn. That like That's one of the most amazing ways to learn about people and place. Anthony Bourdain was correct, and he was certainly not the first. Can I just say, Ben, as it relates to food, the term aspirational makes me think it's like foods that you're more likely to choke on. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Well, some people do choke on their aspirations. It's true, but not William Mitchell. So hats off to you, sir. I am not personally a Cool Whip guy, but I got to say, what a legend. What an absolute legend this man is. Uh, And thanks to everybody for tuning in. You know what? Here's how popular his inventions are. Statistically speaking, someone listening to this episode 
is eating Cool Whip or Pop Rocks right now. Maybe drinking Tang. I don't know. Maybe drinking Tang that has Pop Rocks in it topped with Cool Whip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great, great. And, and, and substituting some tapioca. All mixed in with Decopa. Oh, boy. Decopa. The last word in coffee substitutes. <laughs> Can we also just add, just as a as a last sure. little bit of trivia, that um, you know Mitchell did actually earlier in his career also contribute to the photographic arts. He was responsible for some chemical processes that helped uh, develop the color green better for the Eastman Kodak Company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he uh, apparently made a little bit of an enemy with Martha Stewart. We can't say too much of that because about that because she's technically our co-worker now. She'll cut you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't she doesn't play. Uh, so shout out to our good pal Dylan Fagan. It's good to do. Yeah. Dylan. Dylan. It's Dylan. Yeah, it's Dylan. Oh yeah. You guys know who's here? Oh he's my friend. God, Master Funk. Wow. Oh, yeah. Dylan. We should have Dylan on the show yeah. at some point. He's such a uh, such a breath of fresh air, that guy. Indeed. But we're lucky. You know, pretty much everybody we work with uh, are actually great, brilliant, curious people who will sit here and natter on with us for hours about the most obscure, strange things. And we're so happy that you're part of the show as well, Ridiculous Historian. So thank you, first and foremost. And then thanks also to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Big ups to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Christopher Hasiotis, here in spirit. Jonathan Strickland. May may your may your rocks always pop, good sir. Uh, no, it works. They, it works. May they pop your bald head off. We've got to. We got. Well, that's a little far. That's a little dark. Okay, so, yeah. yeah, yeah so, so. <laughs> but we gotta. We've got to have Jonathan back on before the end of the year. Let's do it. Let's make it official. Let's see if we can get him. Let's do it. We'll see you next time, folks, and happy holidays. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. 
this time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.